This is Michelle Jorgensen, and you're listening to the Urban to Country podcast. Welcome to the Urban to Country podcast, where we talk to outdoor enthusiasts about life, hunting, and how to make every day epic. All right, guys and gals, welcome back to the Urban to Country podcast. On this week's episode, I sit down with Michelle Jorgensen, and we cover a wide range of topics. It was a phenomenal conversation, and I really hope you guys enjoy listening in. As always, the links to everything we talk about will be in the show notes, and links to the music for this episode, provided by Pansky, will be in the show notes as well. Without further ado, the Urban to Country podcast with Michelle Jorgensen. in and out whenever you want. (laughs) 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 This is going to be great. Yeah, I like it. Okay. (laughs) And the funny thing is, I can't really hear what he's saying. I know. (laughs) (laughs) But it'll pick up, though. (laughs) It'll pick up. Yeah. Uh, Okay. So, uh, welcome back to the Urban Country Podcast, everybody. Michelle Jorgensen, my guest today, is a badass. Tom, Tom, our friend over here who's not going to be on the podcast, is uh, raising his glass and, yep. Uh, so Michelle and I met at a women's hunting social, and she was a panelist, and I'd never met her before. We, uh, I think, did we email back and forth at all? I think we were just, I think I sent you my bio for the event, and I was like, That's okay, Facebook, yeah. and then that was how we got connected. <laughs> yeah. And you had a bunch of people who were like, yeah, you need to have Michelle on the panel. So I was like, okay, we'll just, we'll go with it. So my guest today is Michelle Jorgensen. Uh, she's she's a uh, professional in the outdoor industry. And Michelle, what do you, what do you have to say for yourself? Um, hello, and thanks for having me. <laughs> <laughs> Start there. Yeah, it's great uh, to, great to get to co- talk with you. I appreciate I appreciate you making the time. I know you're super busy and uh yeah, it, like I said, I just the the first time we met, I was super impressed with you. You uh you really did well at that uh at that panel. It was a lot and of fun. What was your your first reaction like when all those women came into the room? Right. Like, yeah. I was not expecting that many people to no, come. No, and I'll even back it up a step further. Um so I'm I'm familiar with Jesse Johnson through professional work back when I lived in Idaho and Wyoming, working in the conservation field. And I had seen that she was doing this event in Helena, and I was coming up to Helena quite frequently. And I was like, oh, man, I want to go to that. And then, you know, next thing you know, she reaches out. She's like, hey, you're you're going to be here. You should totally join this panel. You can talk about your experience fishing, because that's basically my background is in fly fishing and spin fishing. And I've only recently gotten into hunting, but I thought, hey, like, I work in the hunting industry, and I have some experience hunting with, like, upland bird at the time, and this was prior to deer hunting and successfully harvesting. So I was thinking, well, I can at least represent kind of a rookie hunter perspective and happy to fill that role, and showed up, had a great time. Like, I was I was quite nervous, you know, but, and I also you didn't had never... You nervous at all. I had a lot of fun, but... 
I had never shot a compound bow, and so and also another great thing, um, I recognized Joelle Selk, who is the she's the president of the Montana Bow Hunters Association. Is that correct? I don't know if she's the president. I know she's very heavily involved. Oh, my gosh. And she's a great advocate for, for bow hunters in Montana. She's amazing. So, first of all, like, getting to work with her, she taught me. She was just like, oh, you know, you know, work, like, your arm like this and make, you know, try to isolate these muscles and then release when you hit this point. And getting to work with her was so amazing because I recognized her from a video that the Mediator program did. She was on that Um we did a promotional video about um, women hunters, and it was like, it, I was starstruck, <laughs> so <laughs> it was really cool, um, and then getting to, you know, watch all those women show up, and um, it was just, it was amazing, and folks from all acro- across the spectrum in terms of, like, experience levels, I love that, um, you know, my my experience in fly fishing, I, for a time there, was hosting events, trying to teach uh, beginner fly fishers, fly anglers, specifically women, to try to get them, um, you know, find them friends and get them together and create cool. a sense of community. So I saw the potential in that event uh, with Artemis and Montana Wildlife Federation. I was like, oh, this this is like right up my alley. This is the kind of stuff I love to do, you know, yeah. build community and, you know, do something that we love together. Yeah. And that was a great introduction for me to you as a, as a person. And like I said, I was just very impressed. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit about uh, your your background, like your life, like where are you from? Yeah. What do you What's your education? What do you do for work? Right. Yeah. So I grew up in a town called Martinez, California. It's in the uh, Northern California area in the Bay Area. Cool. And I was born there, and I lived in a pretty rural area. And so it's kind of funny to me looking back. I didn't know that like the Bay Area was a thing. I didn't know it was a cultural hub. I didn't know it was a historic and industrious place. And I just grew up kind of a little sheltered. And so I remember I didn't make that connection that it was a big deal until I was like 18. And I was like, <laughs> wait a second, this is this is like a highly desirable place for a lot of people. Um, and I thought, well, I'm going to make the most of this opportunity, right, being in this great hub so I went to school in San Francisco, and I studied political science. I'd always been really intrigued by, um, you know, like by the law specifically, by constitutional issues. That was my main interest was constitutional law. Um, and then I uh, thought I would go – I was also always, always had an interest in the environment, you know, playing outside. I spent every summer since I was – I think it was seven in Thompson Falls, Montana, at my grandparents' little farm. So my parents would pack our bags and ship us up, and we'd be gone for two to four weeks, depending, and just played in the the Clark Fork River growing up, rode horses, played in the garden, just always running around chasing white-tailed deer and (laughs) having so much fun shooting the little 22. And so I grew up in kind of like two worlds, it felt like, Um, in Montana, where I got to live out these like amazing experiences that can really form a child, shape a child's values, and you know, just total upbringing. And then in this suburban and urban area that afforded me a lot of opportunities to chase some other goals, which were academic, professional. And then, so, like I said, I was interested in law, in constitutional law, as well as the environment. So I thought, well, I'm going to go take the LSAT and I I better go prepare. (laughs) I better go prepare. But then I thought, before I invest all this money in law school, 
why don't you go work for some attorneys for a while and see how that works out? Yeah. So I did that for two years and it was not for me and that okay. was incredibly valuable. So I essentially saved money by working all that those years and also saved money by not investing in law school. And I said, well, time for a change. And I had seen a movie. <laughs> this is so cheesy, but I had seen a movie with Wyoming. It was featured in Wyoming. And I was like, I have never been there, but I need to go there. And I felt this huge pull. That's cool. And okay. so I devoted all my effort for like nine months to finding a job, finding a place to live in Wyoming, sight unseen. And so I moved and I packed, I had a little Hyundai Accent hatchback <laughs> car. So I packed only the things I could fit in that little car. And it's actually interesting. I had been working with this horse too. Her name was Smoka. Um, I was really into riding and training horses. And the night before I left, um, they had to put her down. She she died. And I was like, how symbolic, how fitting to yeah. tie up. I mean, it's sad, but at the same time, like, how interesting to tie up all the loose ends. Like, everything that I had ever had there was tied up. And I was like, okay, time to start a new chapter free of everything. It's kind of like a clean break. Totally. Yeah. And it was it was like, man, the whole experience, like, getting there, living there, leaving there, everything was everything just fell into place. And so did that for a few years, worked on a 36,000 acre cattle ranch, worked on a dude ranch, and then just thought, well, you know, I'm still interested in the environment. One of the properties I worked on had a nature conservancy um, conservation easement. And this was 36,000 acres of cattle ranch. And quite a significant chunk was like, um, mule deer habitat, uh, sage grouse habitat, um, there's mountain lions, there's all sorts of big critters and important critters too. And I thought, gosh, I should look into, you know, conservation work. So, um, applied to grad schools, really always wanted to go to university of Montana, um, to be closer to my grandparents. But then I realized the university of Idaho was quite close as well. And they had an amazing natural resource program. So I was able to get, some funding to go to school there and it was amazing so I just went and got my master's in uh, natural resource management in the conservation social sciences department so that's specifically like um, the human dimensions of natural resources and it's just been a really interesting path yeah <laughs> no that's that's incredible it so much of what you said kind of resonates with the path that I've taken, like I have a political science degree as well. Mm. I was going to go to law school, started doing all the pre-law stuff and was like, whoa, this is not for me. Like, right. This is this is not going to make me happy and kind of a long and winding road to get to where I am today. But it's been amazing. Mm-hmm. And it w- what you said, though, about like just everything kind of falling into place. It's so true. Like when you figure out what it is, that like really you're meant to do things mm-hmm. just kind of fall into place and, and the pieces kind of work together, which Absolutely. it sounds like it has for you. It Yeah. And you know, I think to take it a step further, like I get a lot of emails in my current position, um, which is, so I work with the TV show called meat eater with Steven Ranella. I'm the communications manager. I handle like the social media, a lot of the fan facing, um, and I, post-produce our podcast. So I have my fingers in a lot of different things, but one of the things I enjoy is really hearing from our fans. And we get a lot of inquiry from young people like that are just starting out that are like, hey, I'm out of, fresh out of high school or I'm fresh out of the Army off of deployment. 
I want to do what you do, like not me, but I want to do what Steve does. <laughs> and how do I get there? Or I'm thinking of going into conservation. What do I do? And the thing is, is <laughs> there's no easy answer because our, I'm sure our both um, paths to our current livelihoods and passions are like a winding road, a long and winding road. And it's not been easy. I'll definitely say that. And so I kind of convey that to folks when I do write them back. I'm like, hey, like it's a noble field to be involved in. And I have zero regrets, but I will tell you the truth and say that it is not easy to get your foot in the door. It yeah. is going to require a lot of hard work. It's going to require, you know, not making any money for quite a few <laughs> years, you know. Um, but now that I'm in my 30s, I can kind of look back upon my 20s and say, wow, you know, wow, this is exactly what I wanted. And it, the road was not easy and it took a long time, but I couldn't be happier, you know, to have the opportunities I have now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You make kind of that, that short term sacrifice for that long term benefit for like where you re really want to get to. Totally. And, you know, it's like the whole fitting things fitting into place thing. It's like, that's so true. And if I've learned anything, it's don't ever force anything to work. It's like, I think about my many years in Idaho after graduate school, I was like working seasonal work, like a lot of folks in the industry do. Right. Yeah. So I was like a river ranger, a rec tech, um, Okay, real quick. Yeah. Were you an interpretive yes. guide? Okay. Yeah, I was an interpretive guide for um, Grand Targhee Ski Resort. Did you just love that? Yeah, it was awesome. I got to just snowshoe hike, like snowshoe trail. Um, so I would I would take folks out every day for two and a half hours in the snow, and we're talking like deep snow. Targhee gets like 500 inches of snow annually, fresh powder. So we would go like break trail and then go search for sign for animals, so tracking. Cool. And it was just a ton of fun. So I did that for a season. And then I was an interpretive ranger for Harriman State Park of Idaho. Where's that at? That is an island park. So okay. that's, oh, that's so beautiful. It's incredible. It's yeah. like this little no man's land, but it's like once you know about it, it's amazing. And I hope all these listeners go and play there because it's like a blue ribbon trout fishery. The Henry's Fork runs through it right through the park, eight miles of the park. And then it's like a snowmobiling mecca and amazing hunting as well. Huge, like, grizzly bear population in that area. It's part of the greater Yellowstone ecosystem. And so I was an interpretive ranger there for a year and a half, and I lived in the park, which was such a unique experience. Like That's waking so up, cool. yeah, man, like waking up to bugling elk at 2 in the morning. It was amazing. And uh, that place has a really interesting history, too. It was gifted by the Harriman family of New York. So they were wealthy from the railroad days. And um, they were like, we love this place so much. We're going to gift this to the state of Idaho. And in doing so, you will, you must, it was part of the contract, you must create a management agency. And that's how the Idaho Department of Parks and Recreation got its formation, was because of this gift by the Harriman family. Dang, I like, didn't know that. I mean, early days conservation right there. That's so cool. It was really neat. So just backing up, yeah. when, when you get those emails, right. and this is something I've kind of thought about a lot because I get similar questions. And I, I don't know that I have the best answer, but what do you tell people? Like if you want to give them a specific thing to do to get their foot in the door in the outdoor, I hate calling it the outdoor industry, but I don't know what else to call it. I know, right? It is very, it's a broad term and yeah. there's so many different niches within it. So like, I guess you could specifically call it maybe conservation. Are we talking conservation or natural resources or should we stick with outdoor? You know, 
and that's the problem, (laughs) right, that you run into. Because when I first started looking, so when I moved to Montana and things kind of fell apart with the job that I came up here for and I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do, I was like, I want to work in the hunting industry. Well, now I work in the conservation industry, and it's definitely where I'm supposed to be. Like, I love conservation. Not that the hunting industry, that there's nothing wrong with the hunting industry. Hunting industry is great. But I guess... I don't know. I would call it like this whole outdoor sphere of mm-hmm. professions and like hunting, fishing, conservation. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. let's let's call it outdoors. Let's call it the outdoors. Yeah, like if works. you want to work in the outdoors, like what what should you do to kind right. of figure out where you want to be and and how to get your foot in the door? Well, I think the first. I think we just nailed the first point, which is keep it as general and broad as you can within the outdoor industry. Because yeah. if you say I want to go work. Um, you know, in the hunting industry specifically as a guide. Well, you've already narrowed it down incredibly. So your options and maybe your foot in the door aspect, like getting that foot in the door is going to be much harder than say, I'm going to go work in the outdoor industry at a lodge that offers outfitting and guiding services. And maybe I'm going to bust my butt for four years and become a guide, right? Like, so I would say, keep it as general as you can within like the parameters of like what you're striving toward. And then, you know, just work hard. Like that's so, that's not very directive, but like working hard, making connections with people in a meaningful way, yeah. volunteering. I did a lot of volunteering, um, in my early days in, in the field. Um, you know, volunteering for like, I remember when I was doing the interpretive guide stuff, uh, for Targhee, I got the opportunity to volunteer for this thing called water awareness week for this conservation group in Teton Valley, Idaho. And, so I got to take, you know, my, my skills in interpretive and environmental education and go apply them in the field, which, you know, that was another awesome opportunity. I got to meet the executive director. I got to meet the board members. Um, I got to put that on my resume, even though it was only a two-day event. It's like those things add up. So essentially, like, if this is something you're passionate about, seek out as many opportunities to display that passion, even if you're not getting paid. That's yeah. huge, especially in your early days. Because no one's going to, I mean, no one's going to pay you in the beginning. They're not, you know, when you're just, you know, you're, it's, it's an interesting, you know, time to be at in your career. um, And you just have to hustle really hard. Yeah. And just constantly seek. I like that you said hustle. What's that? Say that again. Dirt bag. Dirt bag. Yeah. Be willing to be a dirt bag, right? Like Like I said, seasonal work. Like there's nothing, I mean, there's nothing wrong with seasonal work. Everyone does it. Yeah. Yes, it's hard to tell your parents that you work, you know, you have only stability five months out of the year. Like, that's tough. Like, for a long time, like, I was the member of my family that was just like, well, she's not going to be at this family event. She's not going to be at that wedding. And that was a tough pill to swallow. But, you know, I was out here in the mountains trying to hustle. Yeah. You know, and it, there's a sacrifice there, of course. But um, that's, I don't know, that's just what's worked for me. Yeah. I, I like that you said hustle. I like the be a dirt bag. Like mm-hmm. that. It was such a dirt bag. Oh, such man. a trout bum. It was living in a camper. <laughs> well, and what, what I did, because I had no idea, was I just volunteered. I volunteered Absolutely. in the summer to help with projects. I volunteered with three different conservation groups. And that was actually finally what did it for me was that volunteering. Absolutely. And, and the free labor, like mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. being the gopher for two years while I was working 
another full-time job and Mm -hmm. doing all this other stuff. I mean, yeah, there's definitely that, that hard work buys you a ton of equity because I, I got an amazing letter of recommendation that I really feel like was the, the, you know, the thing that sealed my job that I have now. Yeah. And that's very valuable, but I'd also like to point out the fact that when you do create these experiences and people do see that you are passionate and you're hardworking, guess who you're, who's going to pop up in their head when they do have a task or they do have an opening. Yeah. You're going to be that first person that comes to mind. Like you're Johnny on the spot, you know, you're the guy they call. And I mean, that is so potentially so overlooked, but like, yeah. do not discount that. Like anybody it's, it's incredibly valuable. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So going back even further, we kind of glossed over this, but you said that you work for the Meat Eater TV show. Yes. So what's, what is that like? It's and amazing. How did you even get that job? <laughs> Talk about everything falling into place. This is an interesting kind of uh, juncture in my life. Like I was living in Idaho. Yeah, this is the point I was trying to make. I was living in Idaho and everything I was doing was like not adding up. Like it, mm-hmm. I felt like I just was hustling so hard. I was like, I took on this personal project that I was just finishing up. It was like a year in. I felt very good about it. And then like a professional opportunity just like bit the dust and I was underemployed and super devastated like man I can't make my Idaho dreams happen it was really devastating and I was like well I can I can tell that no matter what I'm doing things aren't lining up I'm not getting traction you need to change your life so I packed all my things I moved to Montana and my best friend took me in and she you know was like welcome to Montana you're going to make it happen here. And Man, that's gutsy. It, it was scary. Um, but it was awesome, too. So, like, I showed up on December 17th of last year. And the next day, I found a job on Craigslist, like, pulling staples out of some woman's floor on her 120-year-old house or 100-year-old house. And she's no like, way. Yeah, she's, like, paying me under the table. <laughs> and I'm sitting there pulling staples out over Christmas break while everybody's doing Christmas. And I'm sitting there, like, you know, finding a job. Yeah. And I was like, this is great. Do and what then, you got to do. Yeah. And then I, uh, I reached out to someone I know in Bozeman and said, hey, I'm new in town. I have these professional skills. I know, you know, you are very active in this community. Um, please keep me in mind if you hear of anything. And lo and behold, like a few weeks later, she calls me or texts me and she's like, hey, um, like, my friend's transitioning out of this job, and I think you'd be very good at it. It's doing social media and communications work. And I was like, okay, cool. And it didn't say what the job was. And then so <laughs> I, I Craigslist search it, and it was just like social media for a production company on a television show. So Super there's, sketchy. Yeah, <laughs> right? This could go one of a few ways. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Um, so there's like zero like relevant information in the post. But it's on Craigslist. It's on Craigslist, man. So <laughs> Not even Indeed. Not Craigslist. even, just Craigslist. And so I'm like, all right, this is kind of weird. But um, I apply um, with my relevant experience, like environmental communications, which is like slightly niche. And so I'm like, okay, I'm not going to hear back. And then the next morning at like 8 a.m., they write me back and they're like, hey, can you come in for an interview today? And I was like, yes. So I'm pulling staples. Yeah, yes. I'm pulling staples. Yes. <laughs> and then uh, so I go in and they're like, yeah, so this is for a television show called Meat Eater with Steven Ranella. And I was like, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> <laughs> so 
it was just pure right place, right time, serendipity, whatever you want to call it. Like, no joke, man. It's just finally the thing's falling into place. That's cool. So what it's like is really cool. Um, and I've just had such a great experience with it. So I work with Giannis and Dirtmith and Steven. It's the three of us. And that's our team. And it's incredibly tight-knit. Like, we get a lot of work done. Oh, and Brody, I'm sorry. Brody Henderson works out of Colorado. Um, he's amazing. He's our editorial contributor. Giannis Patelis is our producer, and he's the producer of the Mediator podcast. And then Stephen Rinella, of course, um, the hardest-working man in the business. <laughs> <laughs> like, no joke, he's directing um, his own documentary. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, uh, it's about American hunters. It's called Stars in the Sky. Um that's cool. He is wrapping up publication on the Meat Eater Cookbook, which will be out in the fall of 2018. He produces a weekly podcast, so 52 episodes a year. He just he's all over the place. Like Dang. he is so creative and so hardworking, and that that extends to the entire team. So just being around those guys, and you know, and we work. A lot of us work remotely, right? So I work so here in Helena. Answer, yeah. I work here in Helena, Montana. Giannis is based in Bozeman, Montana. And Dirtmith is kind of remote as well. So he goes on location whenever he's needed. And so, you know, he'll be, I think he was just out in interior Alaska two weeks ago, caught a tanker of a burbot. Um, <laughs> he's just out about, he gets to go. I think he did a Grand Canyon float this year. Uh, I think he shot for Yeti. Um, he's just Awesome. So just being able to work with the guys is the best part of the job because they really, their standard, their work standard has taught me so much about, um, you know, the significance of having such a great audience and such a large audience. Like my, my work has, I just feel so much more creative and productive and like I'm actually making a difference within the, in the big outdoor media, outdoor industry. Um, getting to share these important ideas on hunting and fishing and consumption of your wild game. Yeah, and I like what you guys do as a as a brand and as a company. Um, I was just looking. I didn't realize that you did the social media. Yeah. And that's that's super cool because I obviously I follow your social media. I mean, you guys have a ton of followers, and it's always it's uplifting, it's relevant, and it's educational. Mm-hmm. And there's so many people that claim to be you know, pro conservation or pro, you know, the outdoors and, and they miss out on, on some of those elements. And sometimes, you know, I look at it, I think, man, you have such an opportunity to make such a difference Mm -hmm. because you have this audience that, that believes in you and they, they, they want to consume what you have to say, but you're not saying, you're not saying it the right way. You're not saying it, you know, uh, you're not saying good things that, that bring people together. You're dividing people. Right. And I never, and I don't, I don't say this, uh, just because we're having this conversation. I've said this before. Like I've never seen something that you guys have put out that I thought, ah, I don't know if I buy that or, Ooh, maybe they shouldn't have said that. It's mm-hmm. always, it's always very well said. And I mean, that's just kudos to you guys for, for mm-hmm. being very conscious about what people need to hear oh, yeah. about hunting and in the outdoors. Right. Um, you know, Stephen has a really keen understanding of, um, you know, just once it's out there, it's like you have to be very uh, clear and focused on who your audience is. We know our audience. We know what they like. We know that we're lucky that what they like 
is absolutely authentically what we stand for. So we stay very on topic. Um, we, you know, we truly live that lifestyle um, that we're yeah. sharing with folks. And um, I think they really appreciate that. And um, it's at the end of the day, like we are a hunting television show, podcast, books. We are, we are, you know, entertainment and educational, like consumptive media. Um, we, you know, there's, there's plenty of political opinions out there. You can go to anybody else's page and catch that. Um, we don't dig too deep into that um, unless like essentially Steven stands by and I like the whole crew, like we're robustly like pro wildlife habitat and that's an absolutely great place to draw your line in the sand, you know? I mean, without habitat, we don't have the ability to hunt. We don't have the ability to um, acquire wild game. We don't have the ability to, like, go out and build these experiences with our families in the outdoors. So if you start with the habitat, like, that's super important. So we, we're very keen on that. Yeah. What do you think the biggest threat to hunting and conservation is right now? It's tough. Um well, I'll say like right now I posted an article today on the proposed ballot initiative in Arizona by the Humane Society of America and supported by these various local wildlife advocate groups, um, uh, very further one way on the spectrum of political ideology. Um, that, I think, you know, just groups capitalizing on emotional like output like against like for like wildlife that's a huge threat so like just because um we have this ability to go hunt like remy warren and ben o'brien had a great conversation on the po on the uh, hunting collective podcast last week or a few, few episodes ago is amazing so good go and, listen to it yeah amazing podcast amazing episode ben was saying or no remy was saying that hunting in America is not a right. We have been granted this privilege. Um, he's like, voting is a right. Um, all these other things are a right, but we have been granted a privilege by the decision makers, whoever they are, they're all around us, right? And these decision makers tolerate this activity. And we, we have to be careful and rep, uh, respectful about how we act as ambassadors of hunting, um, how we portray ourselves in our, you know, our own personal social media, our own yeah. media. Um, I'm not a huge self-censor. I don't believe in a ton of self-censorship, but I believe that if we give these, like, radically pro-wildlife rights um, groups an opportunity to attack hunting and attack the lifestyle, they're going to do it. So I think that is the greatest threat right now facing hunting. I mean, you can talk about hunting numbers diminishing by what is it 2.2 million yeah it was something like 16 percent was the number i heard in the yeah. last couple of years yeah it's it's dropped it's dropped but i mean statistically i read the report by the u.s fish and wildlife service and the researchers say it's not statistically significant the mm -hmm. decrease in hunter numbers but you know who knows what's contributing to that whether it's economic whether it's um, folks don't have the opportunity, like they don't have um, a mentor, whatever Access the cause. Access is a huge Access issue for is a lot huge. of people. Yeah. Access is huge, right? I mean, we're so lucky out here in the West. We have plenty of access. We have plenty of large landscapes um, to get out to. But that could be, you know, maybe something on the forefront, like decreased hunter numbers. 
and maybe, I don't know, what do you think is the greatest threat? You know, I've thought of, I've thought about this, and I think it's, um, honestly, I think it's the image that we're creating of ourselves. I think, and you, you touched on this, but, and, and that's my that's my personal opinion. I think it's the image that we're creating of ourselves. We're not creating an image that is embraceable by the general public. And I don't mean that, gener well, I mean that, that there's a certain segment of the hunting population that is doing that. And unfortunately, that's what gets seen mostly. Right. I mean, and that's the stuff that goes viral. You yeah. see like a wolf or like a coyote, like snare, like trapped in the mouth or yeah. something like that, something grotesque. Yeah, a friend of mine, um, actually Mary Stang, who was yeah. on the, yeah, she shared an article about this um, wolf hunt up in Alaska, and the picture right on the front was 12 wolves that this guy had shot, and he mm -hmm. was doing some macho pose with his rifle. It was completely inappropriate in every way possible. Whether and I didn't, um, I didn't dig too deep into it to see if what he did was legal or illegal. I I don't know the regs up there. But the picture was just horrible. Mm -hmm. It just it completely would turn off someone. It turned me off, and I and I like to hunt. But if I didn't, I can only imagine how offensive I would find that photo. And it's things like that. It's the clickbait type stuff right. that goes, like you said, viral. Mm -hmm. um, That's the stuff that worries me. Is yeah. like I really value this lifestyle, and I try to conduct myself and in a way that pro like encourages and like prolongs the ability for me to live this lifestyle. Like I'm not going to rub anything in anybody's face because I don't want to give them like ammunition. Yeah. And Randy Newberg puts it really well and others have said this as well, but just his description of it sticks in my mind where he talks about how there's that 80% that is that kind of middle ground, right? Like statistically 80% of Americans support hunting. Yeah. They're non hunters. Great. Yeah. Non hunters. They're not antis. Right. And it's those people that that are going to make, like you said, uh, the decision on whether or not we get to keep doing this. Because it's not a right. It's it's a total privilege. And we have hunting licenses. Those licenses can be revoked if we are not good stewards of this opportunity that we've been given. <laughs> um, obviously, things like loss of habitat, um, public access, these different things, they're important. And I think that they are a, a, a serious concern, but having a united community that pr represents itself well will take care of a lot of those issues. Right, right. And I think to tie the bow on that point about Arizona, well, we're really lucky because um, that ballot initiative to be able to um, ban uh, wild cat hunting, so ban uh, mountain lions, jaguars, ocelots, that's what this group was trying to get pushed through. They were trying to get a ballot initiative put on the next election. And they had to collect 150,000 signatures by, like, X date. I don't, I don't think the date is hit. I think it was some, by something in June. But it was looking like they weren't going to be able to reach that mark. And so they withdrew that proposal. So we're very lucky that this didn't get put on the ballot initiative. Yeah. Um, because, I mean, gosh, can you imagine, like, that goes to a vote I mean, I don't know if that would pass in Arizona, but it might, well, it passed in California, like having yeah. a ban on, on mountain lion hunting in California yeah. when we're seeing what kind of a result ec um, ecologically that's having on the wildlife populations out there. I mean, you can't, in some places you can't even go deer hunting now. Yeah. Well, and if people think that, that public opinion can't take away the, the privilege of hunting, 
look look in Colorado where they just got rid of, I think it was spring bear hunting. Is that Is right? Is it? I, I don't know. Yeah. I didn't hear about yeah. that one. So I think it was in Colorado. Well, I'm also in BC with the grizzly bear ban. And that was the other thing I was going to say. Mm-hmm. And if you ever think that, oh, no, they, they'll never do it. I yeah, mean, right. British Columbia is one of the biggest hunting provinces in Canada, mm-hmm. and they did it there. And it was all public perception mm-hmm. of what hunting was. Don't give them the opportunity. Yeah. And I, that's one of the things I love about Ben O'Brien's podcast is he's really hidden home this message that we need to, we need to be better stewards of the privilege that we have right. of hunting. Right. And, you know, that's it's definitely like a shift in thinking to some degree. And right. I'm sure that won't be well received by some in the hunting community or whatever. Um, but I think I, I definitely see where he's coming from. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, and it's little things, too. Like, we don't need to go extreme and, you know, not post right. photos or share, because I think that's incredibly valuable. Right. One Tell of, the story. Yeah. What's One it mean to you? Yes, exactly. What What does this mean? Like, why is it important to you? One of the, the most in, engaged – that's not right. <laughs> One of the posts that got the most engagement on my social media was I did a time lapse of me field dressing my deer oh, from wow. last year. Oh, mm-hmm. And it was incredible. I got all these questions from people like, what are you doing? Why are you doing that? Like, how does that work? Like, what are you doing now? And it was it was really cool to see that more so than the the photo of me with the deer after I had shot it. Right. That video got a lot of attention. And I think, like you said, it's like highlight why we do this. Like, what 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 is it about hunting? That excites us so much. Well, think about, like, say you got a lot of questions. Um, that One could make the assumption that maybe that is a non-hunter who has never experienced these things. Think about how that video and your responses, your careful, thoughtful, um, reverent, like, responses to that, think about how that perhaps challenged their perceptions and made them reevaluate their stance on things before. And maybe you planted a seed of interest. Right. I mean, that is incredible. Yeah. That's what we need to be doing. Like, I mean, and it's not to like actively do it, like, but I mean, you can, or you could, I mean, that's great if you're not even thinking about it and it comes out that poignantly. But, um, when it comes to public social media, I mean, you just need to be careful what you post. Everybody should. And, um, thoughtfulness resonates with folks. So I think that's an amazing opportunity. So speaking of new hunters, at some point you were a new hunter. Yes. What, what was that transition like from, I mean, it sounds like you've always been very active in the outdoors, but what was that transition like from, okay, I don't, I don't hunt big game. Now I want to hunt big game to, holy crap, I just shot my first deer. Like, what was that journey like for you? It was a long journey and it was amazing. Like it happened just as it should. Um, I, my grandfather hunted, he was actually incredibly lucky to draw a bighorn sheep tag in like oh the gosh. perma paradise area of uh, northwestern Montana, Dang. and that ram hangs in our wall at my grandparents' house. That's it's so cool. It's stunning. Um, <laughs> and his hunting story is funny, but it's like <laughs> you know I always heard these stories, and he used to have these horses that he would pack in with, and have just have a lot of fun in the mountains. And I always was wishing I could go, but I don't know if I ever voiced it. So you know, no harm, no foul. But um, always wanted to be outdoors on that level. Um, and when I moved to Idaho, I was like just exposed to all this wild game. I, I hooked up with some really cool girls in college, like became friends with them and 
wild game became the primary staple of my diet and morel mushrooms and perch and like all these amazing, uh, wonderful animals. And, um, so I thought, well, gosh, I need to, I need to start doing this myself because these girls aren't going to always be around, you know? And I was also very inspired by their, their lifestyles. Um, my one friend, Kelsey in particular, I mean, she has, just grown up doing it. I mean, she's uh, harvested bear, mountain lion, bobcat, everything you can think of, and it's just inspirational. So um, I moved to southeast Idaho and began upland bird hunting. So I would go out for, um, well, primarily uh, little grouse and stuff, and had a Chesapeake Bay Retriever at the time and would just go and flush birds and have fun shooting them. And that was a really cool entrance into the sport and we do get a lot of those questions like how do I get into hunting it's like start with small game like that is so manageable and approachable they're yeah. easy to dress they're easy to hunt they're a ton of fun to hunt so it was the perfect entry into the sport um was starting with small game um you know just shooting hares all sorts of fun stuff and then I had been on a few hunts um, specifically, I was looking for white-tailed deer, but, you know, ran into everything else, but I ran into <laughs> mule deer, ran into black bear, ran into elk. Um, so learned a lot of lessons in those moments, you know, like always have every tag you can have That's <laughs> right. possible. Yeah. So now I get like the sportsman tag and have every, have every tag for every critter that's available. Um, and so I just was on a bunch of hunts that never allowed me to connect um, and harvest an animal. And then um, last year, Thomas and I went out to we went out on a couple hunts. So real quick, yeah. two questions. When you started hunting, were you going out by yourself? Right. When you, I, I think you said when you were upland bird hunting, you were yeah, going out with friends. Yeah, that was by my. Well, that was actually by myself. Okay. Um, I was just borrowing a little 410 shotgun from a friend, and I would just head out into the hills. Um, like 20 minutes from my house. That's the beautiful part about um, Idaho is there's just amazing access in most places. So I just head out into the hills and just go walk like um, in the big fields and shoot up a daily limit and have fun. And uh, How did you figure out as a new hunter, like how did you figure out where to go? Like hmm. what was your, kind of your, your process well, there? Well, I just, I spent a lot of time outdoors. So I I've always been, a, and, and being a naturalist, like I always just, just observed, um, like ecosystems and landscapes and animals, um, when I did run into them. So I was, I think it was almost, um, it was almost like subconscious. I would just be like, well, where is habitat? Okay. Right. I'd be like, well, I know that there's going to be, um, some sage out here. I know there's some trees. I know there's cover, there's water, there's gravel, like there's all these things that, allow this critter that I'm targeting to survive. So I'm just going to go walk around and I'm going to tote a shotgun. Like I wasn't like, I'm going to go like be productive and successful on this hunt. Like it was like, no, I'm going to go out here and try my hand at it. And so I didn't have a ton of expectation. So that's a great point. Like I went out with very little expectation and just like really having fun. And how did you find like public land? Like for new people, there's right. like there's almost this idea of like oh it's the west like I can just walk out in a field and it's all good right well but that's not the case um I had just like a um, like a Idaho atlas you know okay. just the one you get at the gas station perfect and I would look at the map very crudely and I'd be like where's the green the green denotes <laughs> like national forest right so I'd be like where's the green identify the green on the map I'm gonna go there okay <laughs> and so that's how I started or where's the yellow for BLM nice and so. Um, that was a very rudimentary, like 
basic way of determining access. And so I do that. I mean, now I've got like, you know, the ability to like go on Onyx, you know, um, and like pull up a little GPS map or all sorts of resources. But um, before it was like flip open to a page, identify like the the public land jurisdiction that I want to go hit and then look for habitat. So it was very uninformed. <laughs> it was very much beginner. Um, but that's normal. And that's right. like for new people, like don't like, if that's the way you feel like Michelle and I have both been there. Like when mm-hmm. I first started hunting, I would, I was like so afraid that I was going to go. Cause everybody, I kind of had this idea like, Oh yeah, I can just go hunt wherever. And then everybody was like, make sure you don't trespass. And then I, it like hit me like, Oh crap. Like I could break the law. Right. So I had like a, like two mile by two mile, like square place that I would go. And it was the most unproductive hunting area, mm-hmm. but I knew I wasn't going to break the law and get in trouble. Right. So yeah. And I guess what I would say is ask a friend to show you how to find totally. public land. Totally. And also like always, like I think, I didn't do this enough. And now I look back now that I have experience, I look back, I did not consult the wildlife management regs as in depth as I should have. Mm. And I'm not saying like I went out and did anything bad, but like learn those things inside and out. And then you're just going to be so much more informed. So I don't think I was utilizing as many resources as I could have and should have. And I think one of the most underutilized resources, especially for new hunters or anglers or whoever is is recreating outdoors is fishing game agencies oh my gosh call them call them they will if you called up a fishing game agency and said hey i'm new to hunting i want to make sure that i do this right like here are my questions right they will help you the one thing i'll say with that though don't just call them and say hey how do i go hunting or where do i hunt or where do i give me a unit (laughs) like no yeah like have have some specific questions like you got to put in you know, a little bit of sweat equity and, and then they'll help you. But You know what would be really cool? This is an idea. And I wonder if some places do have this. What if wildlife management agencies had like a reading room and then they had like a docent who was like a very well-educated and informed, say like a veteran hunter or a veteran angler, and they were looking for something to do in their off time. Like how cool would that be? And then you could go consult cool. that resource. That Whoa. would be sweet. Whoa. My Whoa. mind is my mind is blown right now. <laughs> Ideas. That's that is... my next venture. <laughs> <laughs> Concierge docents for hunters. Yeah, right. <laughs> and they point you to all like not their units. Not, everywhere but their units. Yeah. No, no, no. That that spot that looks really good, that's horrible. Yeah, Don't that's go there. like a super fun site. Don't yeah. worry about that. <laughs> well, and what's cool if you're a listener in Montana, um, the Montana Wildlife Federation, who I work for in my nine to five, we do do something kind of like that. We partner with Fish, Wildlife, and Parks. Ours is just a like a four or five week um, like precursor to hunting season, where we do walk you through like how to find areas to hunt, like what to do if you happen to get something, like how to field dress, uh, what gear to take. So mm-hmm. if you go on Fish, Wildlife, and Parks Facebook in Montana or on the Montana Wildlife Federation's Facebook page and just subscribe for updates, you'll get an update and an, and an invite to those events because we do them every year. And it's it's what you're saying, but it's not as cool as what you just said. Like No, that, I mean, I feel like the in-person stuff would be yeah. way cool too. Like I might go to that. That sounds great. Yeah. Um, and, you know, if it, I will say like one of the things – every hunter would benefit from and angler every outdoorsman would benefit from is having that mentor. Yeah. So having those opportunities to go to something like that is invaluable. And I've been so lucky in having Thomas 
take me, you know, on many outings and, uh, you know, he's just taught me so much. Like I've been having a lot of fun, you know, learning how to read maps and uh, navigate and <laughs> just all this great outdoor stuff. And he took me on my deer hunt, my successful deer hunt. So that was my second question. Who is this Thomas we keep talking about? <laughs> He's my love. <laughs> <laughs> He's wonderful. Thomas is being a good sport. My other mic broke, otherwise we'd have him on here with us. But um, you guys are in a relationship. You're a couple, right? Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, and uh, he's my outdoors partner and my best friend, and we have a ton of fun outside together, and it's just um, it's just been a fun time, you know? We just get out as often as we can great a lot of fishing a lot of uh back roads a lot of hiking a lot of hunting so when i was kind of getting ready for this i did look like way way back through your social media Mm -hmm. just to kind of see like how did michelle get here like what's her story oh cool the two pictures that i absolutely loved are the american flag out at the lake with the makeshift flagpole that you guys made yeah that was great that was fourth of july last year that was so cool thanks That, that was that was pretty neat 10,000 feet? Yeah. Dang. Oh, man. So, yeah, that was amazing. So, 4th of July, like, we were sitting here in Helena. It was hot. Oh, man, was it hot. And we are like, we got to get out of here. Like, yeah. Or we're, I don't know. But, yeah, so we were like, we got to go somewhere. And uh, we picked a mountain range, got some fishing in, nice. like, we hit a creek, couldn't find an access, and he pulls out the GPS, and he's like, that's a right of way. Boom, we're in. Nice. And he caught the biggest brookie of his life. Very cool. It was big. Oh, my goodness. Big, big. And then we headed further west, southwest. Yeah, southwest, climbed up to an awesome mountain lake at 8,000 feet. The picture was incredible. 9,000 feet, and then, yeah, we uh, hiked the flag in, and Thomas tracked down a lodgepole, and uh, we created a flagpole, flew the flag on the 4th of July uh, with these amazing mountains behind us, and then climbed up another 1,000 or 2,000 feet and just sat at the top of this uh, saddle and glassed mountain goats um cow elk and babies and just like it just like hurt to leave like we wanted we wished we could stay up there spend the night like never leave yeah it was amazing so that was just one yeah one picture one memory oh man one moment and what you just said like it it, like made your heart ache to leave yeah that's what and that's what i'm really wanting to do with this platform that feeling Mm -hmm. of being in the outdoors and being so connected and so just like in the moment that you just can't imagine walking away from it. Like mm-hmm. that is a feeling that everyone should experience once in their life. Agreed. Agreed. It's, it's um, like the most powerful feeling. And, yeah. um, you know, it, even my dog Jack felt it. I mean, yeah. this dog, the minute we hit snow line, this dog's energy, I mean, his whole demeanor changed. Look at him. He's sleeping on the floor right now. You should have <laughs> seen this guy. Out. He was just turned on up to 11. Like, <laughs> it was incredible. So he was even feeling it. So for that, um, like, powerful feeling, whatever this is, mm-hmm. to work its magic on humans and animals alike, I mean, yeah. we were just, we were, like, under its spell. It was magic. That's cool. Mm-hmm. I also like the one where you guys pulled the kid out of the ditch. That was, <laughs> that was good. <laughs> yeah. That was a few weeks ago, remember, on Rat Creek? Um I took a picture of our drive yeah. um, and like a selfie of us. And uh, yeah, we ran yeah. into a kid 15 miles back on a snowy road. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we went out to Phillipsburg, and then we were like, let's drive the entirety of Rock Creek in the middle of winter. <laughs> so we put the <laughs> chains on. Yeah, he's like, let's do this, babe. So yeah, we put the chains on two different times because we're like, oh no, we got this. Let's take the chains (laughs) back off. And I was just like, oh, I don't know. (laughs) And then, yeah, I ran into this poor unfortunate kid. I mean, wearing like sweatpants and tennis shoes. Out on Rock Creek. Yeah, down on out on Rock Creek, like 15 miles back, and he's like, I've got chains. And we look at his chains, and we're like, those aren't even for this vehicle. No, you don't. You don't have chains. You don't have chains. So we pull them out. And, you know, I mean, lesson learned for everyone in that, like I said, in that post, like we're sitting there like, what the hell are we driving down this road for? Well, yeah. we're right where we need to be, clearly, because we ended up having this encounter with this young man who, who knows if he'd have had to spend the night in the car, if anyone would have even driven by. We don't know. Like, yeah. So, you know, I don't know. I think that that's definitely kind of the philosophy I try to live my life by like hey just trust that you're right where you need to be and you know like we said if the pieces are all falling into place you're exactly where you need to be I love that yeah that's awesome like, and you I, need to write that down for me I don't I don't in, in my 34 years I don't know a lot but I know that yeah <laughs> like, no it's a great way to view life yeah so deer let's hear this deer story yeah the deer the deer the deer um which by the way is impressive He's he's a he's an incredible um first deer, that's yeah. for sure. I'm very grateful for him and I'm looking at it, uh the mount right now because we just got it back yesterday from the gal that processed him and she did an amazing job. What's her name? Uh shout out to Melissa Backer in Melissa Bozeman, Backer. Montana. Sure yeah. in Bozeman. She's the best. Um so yeah, so we uh we went out a few different times on a few different hunts. Um, I believe they were specifically archery for Thomas. Um, found a couple critters, and then we were like, well, it's rifle season now. I'd love to get my first deer. And at the time, I think, I remember, I was talking to Thomas last night about this. Like, in my lack of experience with big game species, I was of the mind that, like, I didn't want to put any pressure on me or him to, like, deliver on, like, you know, finding a nice, decent buck and bringing home a buck. Um, That was not a huge priority at the time. Um, And I remember, you know, on our first day of the hunt, we were like, well, um, (laughs) actually, the first day of the hunt, we didn't see anything. I think we saw a coyote. (laughs) 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 We'd gone out. We were out in uh, central Montana. I think this is as far as I'm going to say is central Montana. Um, and we were out with his friends um, who graciously hosted us at their ranch. And um, we went out. Block management, yeah. So it was public, <laughs> or block management. And so they hosted us at uh, their home, and we went out for a nice dinner. And we just had way too much steak and wine and, you know, all the good stuff. We imbibed. And the next day, <laughs> we were hurting, hurting, hurting to the point where <laughs> first thing I do when I get out of the truck, I drop my rifle. Oh, no. <laughs> I was so embarrassed. I like didn't even want to tell Thomas, but I was like, you know what? Own it. Like you're a, you're a rookie. Own it. Like okay, uh, whatever. So it was embarrassing, but you just like crammed all the like vital hunting experiences into one. Yeah. Like, expect to like do dumb stuff. Just make sure you don't have one chambered, <laughs> and it's always on safety. <laughs> so yeah. Uh, safety first. Kids. Safety first, guys. <laughs> 
And so, yeah, it's so the first day we didn't see anything. And then we were like, we're out of here. Let's go back and go to sleep. <laughs> it was a very unproductive day. But the next day, we did. We got up very early. We were up before dark, and we were out there ready to hike in at sunrise. And we saw quite a few whitetail. Sweet. And Thomas was spotting, I think he spotted an okay buck, nice little whitetail buck. Um, and this was like, there were some hay fields nearby. So it just was too easy, right? Right. And I was like, of the mind that, I was like, oh gosh, you know, well, I mean, if we're just trying to get meat, like, I guess we could shoot this. And he's like, no, Michelle, like, we haven't <laughs> even hunted yet, <laughs> you know? Um, so it was a... Uh, it was like, okay, cool. I have a lot to learn. Like, this isn't about that. It's about the experience. It's about getting out. Let's let's go hunt. We're yeah. not just grocery shopping. Right. And so I learned that and started hiking. I learned a lot, man. Yeah, I learned a lot. A lot about, like, I love that about thermal hunting. regulation. Like, <laughs> oh, man, I'm always, I always run way too hot. I always overdress, too. So I'm just like... Every big push up a hill, I'm, like, stripping off a layer. I'm like, oh, my God. And he's just – he's letting me learn these things. He's, he doesn't tell me what to do. He's not like, hey, you shouldn't dress that hot. Like, he just does his thing, and I'm sitting there, like, yeah. sweating my ass off. <laughs> so, and you learn it fast and I, that you way. You learn it, yeah. yeah. So, like, all these things, in the moment, I'm taking them in, and I'm just trying to be quiet and try to regulate my breathing and look for animals and it's all these like compounding experiences and i'm like this is this is how you become a hunter like right now i'm not a hunter like i'm not a successful hunter so it was just uh learning a ton and i love that i love learning i love being uncomfortable in in like in my experience like and I'm learning to become uncomfortable physically and mentally, like push myself out of my limits, which is a really valuable part or valuable thing that hunting has afforded me is like learn because you can often be put in uncomfortable moments and weather and, um, you know, physical and environmental experiences. So it's been awesome that, that aspect of it. And so we just, you know, kept hiking up, 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 um, saw two decent, other whitetail and tried to get them in my sights and it just the light wasn't there yet so it was still quite early and I wasn't seeing them and I wasn't zoomed in enough so I'm learning about my equipment I'm learning about my scope I'm learning about you know being able to shoulder your weapon and sight in in an appropriate amount of time right so it's just like I felt I remember feeling so inadequate that was a huge feeling and I felt really self-conscious like oh gosh like you know I'm in front of Tom who's a very experienced hunter and but I'm you know it's interesting because it's like I've never claimed to be you know a successful hunter so it's okay to have that self-doubt right yeah so I just remember being like really kind of flooded with a lot of different like emotions which is strange because i don't know i don't know if men feel that do men feel that do i mean have you felt that i have felt that and it's funny you say that because i was i was thinking about my first hunting experience um without going into too many gory details i didn't start hunting until i was 27 Mm -hmm. and my first deer that i shot i made a really bad shot on and immediately because I was with two experienced hunters, immediately I just felt like, oh, crap, I just really screwed up. 
Like, what have I done? These guys are going to make fun of me. And fortunately, I was with two guys that were very good mentors. Now that I'm further along, they give me all kinds of crap. When right. I'm, <laughs> you can take it. Now, now I can got... take it. But in the moment, the one, like, and and the way I hit the deer, it went down, but it was a bad shot. But he just, like, he's like, all right, let's go. He, like, grabbed me, and we went over, and we did what we needed to do to put it put it down quickly. And uh, I think, uh, yeah, guys guys definitely feel that, too. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we we tend to, because we're men, um we we feel like we have to be macho mm-hmm. and we got to hide it and we we got to be tough and nothing bothers us and so i think guys don't maybe talk about it as much mm-hmm. or let it show as much i probably let it show i definitely didn't talk about it um because it's like i i really was having fun at the same time too so i'm not going to like um it's just yeah i wasn't going to talk about it but i remember like yeah just definitely like feeling it and like being like, okay, work through it. Like, yeah. okay, you're feeling these things. Like, just like learn these lessons quickly. Like, be quiet. Take quieter steps. Really try to regulate your breathing. Like, you can you can do these things. Mm-hmm. Like, take note of what you're doing wrong, and adapt and manage. So I started doing that, and then I felt like I felt like I really hit my stride when we got to this one patch. Um, can I ask a question? Sure. Interject real quick. Was there something that Tom? Tom Thomas did that helped you feel less self-conscious about not knowing yeah. what you're doing. Yeah, he didn't make an issue of anything. He just like kept he just kept doing what he does and he's always very supportive. So he just I'm sure he picked up on that I was frustrated or struggling with certain aspects and just the consistency of being supportive was all I could have ever asked for. Yeah. Um yeah. That was it. Yeah. It was great. Like, just, like, give me the space to figure it out. And if you do have tips that are constructive, tell them if you feel like it. Yeah. You know? Right. Mm -hmm. And learn. Yeah. So instead of pointing out how, quote, unquote, stupid this person was or, Mm -hmm. hey, dummy. Hey, rookie. Or, hey, hey, you know. Yeah. They already know that they've made a mistake or they already already are cataloging in their head the the bazillion things they're doing wrong. Right. Help them figure out how to do something right. Yeah, absolutely. Do you know how to fix the issue? Okay, good. Let's let's fix it. Yeah, Yeah, this is the moment to fix it. So, like, uh, giving me, like I said, giving me that space because he knows I'm not a dummy. Like, I may not have that experience but like you know if you point it out or if maybe it's the light bulb's gone off here like time to address it but um i love that about him you know he just he lets he gives me the space to do what i have to do yeah um so yeah i felt like at a certain point i really kind of hit my stride do you remember when we were walking through that old kind of like um when we were like up at the top and we were walking through this um treat area with a lot of dead and down stacked um timber and we saw this deer well actually i remember i spotted this deer um quite far nice. off and he was a decent buck really nice cool. white tail in the woods and so we're like being super quiet and i felt like i was like we're crunching on snow but like I've finally hit my stride and it just like, it felt like I said, again, like the thing's kind of falling into place. And, uh, we didn't end up getting eyes on that deer again. Um, but we broke through into this parked area, like this beautiful open park, um, big meadow, and it was surrounded by trees. We got to hang out under a really nice tree for a while and soak in the sun. 
What's that? Thomas took a nap. Oh, man. Outdoor I, naps are the best. They're the best, man. The sunshine on you. It's just like, feels like being wrapped in a warm hug. Yeah. What's that? Oh, yeah, I don't yeah. see. <laughs> you know, yeah, uh, social media never sleeps. So I had, to, right. I had to make a meat eater post because um, I think it was like, yeah, it was Monday. So I took work off Monday. You can't let that stuff go dead. No. So I'm sitting there updating meat eater. Um, Got to give the people what they want. Yes, yes. Um, and I hope it was about deer hunting because it's definitely what was on the brain. So um, took a nice little rest up there and then. Worked our way down to like this little overlook, this bench, um, rocky bench. We found a mountain lion scat and fresh tracks from a mama and baby. And we were like, oh. well, those are fresh. All right, cool. Um, you know, they're on something. They're smelling something. Yeah. Yeah. Do you? Can you come over here by the mic more? That road and there's sign. And you want to walk fast, like. Because you're, you're excited. We made it to the top. We're on this bench. There's good parks. There's rubs. There's elk and deer sign. And you're walking fast. I remember that. And I turned back from like this. We just we just got to slow down a little bit. That's the dog in case you guys are wondering. That's not Thomas. Hi. <laughs> and for me, I know if I move generally faster than my quarry, they're going to spot me. But if I move slower, especially in the rut, they probably won't. I think it was shortly after that you spotted that white-tailed buck running through the woods. Right. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. He basically was like, encouraged me to slow down and, you know, not push or force anything. And that's when it, I remember that was where I locked in and I felt like, okay, this is cool. And I, I can sense when I feel the woods, I feel the wind, I know the sounds, the the pulse of it. Yeah. If I'm going too fast and I'm ahead of it and I can't keep up with what's going on. And I think that's where you get in. Mm-hmm. And like you, you synced with the rhythm. Totally. The I felt it. I just didn't know how to put it in words. Yeah. That's cool. Cool. Um, so... <laughs> <laughs> a little background All mu- the music. <laughs> Cell phone, dog, pretty soon kitchen timer. <laughs> hey, it's all good. Um, so, Tom, you want to hang around for this part? Sure. So, And this go is ahead. like this ledge, right? Yeah, tell them about it's, the ledge. It's a rim rock, and there was a cougar in her kit hanging out there. Oh, that's so cool. I was like, well, yeah, we're going to hang out here and take a nap. And there's this beautiful, uh, down and to the left, grassy slopes with brush. Perfect mealy country. There's mule deer here. Oh, yeah. And we spotted two groups. Two groups. Some does. And neither had to be a buck. Yeah, so spotted some does. There was a group of about... Gosh, it was a quite a large group. Weren't there like seven or eight does yep. down in that first little brush patch? And they were milling about. There were some sleeping. There were some eating, just browsing and stuff. It's like one or two in the afternoon. Yeah, it was like one or two. It was just perfect. It was beautiful out. And um, then we spot this other group. I think there were two does feeding far off to the left, probably 300 yards. Five? 
I'm really bad at judging distances, by the way. 500 <laughs> yards, everybody. That's one of the hardest things to learn. It so, is, yeah. man. I'm consistently 100 yards off. <laughs> so, and Tom likes to test me. He's like, so what, what do you think the yardage is on that? And I'll be like, 150. And he's like, 100. <laughs> or like, 200. But anyway, um, so we see this, this uh, smaller group of does, like 500 yards off. And we're watching them. And just keep seeing this one doe look back behind her. She's mm. just kind of, she's keyed in on something behind her. And I don't yet know this behavior, right? I don't know this. Tom is really picked up on this. He's like, there's something back there. That doe won't leave that alone. She keeps looking back. And it just kept eating at him. But they're so far off. We don't see a buck. We don't see anything yeah. besides these nice little does. And we're just like, gosh, what's going on here? And so we reluctantly decide, because we still haven't seen anything, we decide reluctantly that, oh, gosh, it's getting dark. We still have to drive three hours home and go to work with us. So we were, we were at the decision point where we could go back to the face and shoot like a fork white tail. Yeah, those, those decent white tails. So we're at a fork in the road. We're like, we either, we either play this out. Yeah, we either hike back 45 minutes to where we know there's a ton of white tail and get something in the bag or we hang out. Wait till dark. Yeah. See what's going on here. Yeah. And it's so like bird in the hand versus two in the bush, right? Yep. Exactly. Yeah, that's always. So that that's, was a yeah. painful decision to make. So we're like, oh gosh. And Thomas did not want to make that decision, but I was just like, well, gosh, you know, we'd be, we'd be so lucky to be able to get a deer this year. So let's go with the one we know. Yeah. Let's go back to the whitetail. And so we decide to pack it in and we start heading out and we drop down below the bench and Thomas, it's just eating at him. I can tell he does not want to go. And he takes one last look behind himself, behind us back to where we had seen that doe. And all of a sudden, this big buck stands up. Oh. <laughs> Sorry about the timer. No, that's fine. Oh, God. Right on time. This big old buck stands up. And he's like, oh, my gosh, we're going to kill that buck. Yeah, he was, he was 560 yards. And uh, he was in a piece of brush we'd been watching for three hours. Yep. That wasn't bigger than that couch right there. Oh, my gosh, yeah. He just stood up, and it's like, it was like, oh, you know, just yeah. like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> and so what's crazy to me is, like, the next 10 minutes was the stock. It was like, all of a sudden, okay, get your stuff. Let's go. We're stocking this critter. And it just, like, it's like a blur. The stock is yep. a blur to me. I just remember single file trying to keep up with Thomas. And we're just like, you, when I move, you move. When I move, you move. When I stop, you stop. Hand signals. <laughs> like, uh, Yeah, I felt bad one time. I said, you got to keep up. We got to maintain one profile because when he's feeding, we're moving. When, he's not, when we're not, then we're stopped. He won't see us at 400 yards if we're not moving. Yeah. We were in the open. We were, yeah. I mean, it was wide open. And it was amazing, though. I mean, like, that's a lesson. Like, I learned it because if not, we would have blown it. We would have blown that sock, yeah. and we yeah. didn't. So. And sometimes, as a teacher, you do have to. You got to take the reins over you because yeah. you're trying to set up Michelle in this case for success, 
and if she doesn't do specific things, she's going to get frustrated. It's going to be a bad experience, and and she needs to have that experience so that next time you can do it on your own. So that's oh, totally yeah, totally. That's an excellent point. And so I just was like fixated on Thomas, just like watching exactly every move he made, following in his rhythm, following his steps. Um, the timing was incredible. We were we covered like 250 yards in. Like I said, I feel like it was a blink of an eye. Like, I don't even remember it vividly. It just was like this blur. And that is an interesting concept to me. It's like, how, like what chemicals are going off in my body right, right. now that are making me, like, black out practically? Yeah. Well, the adrenaline, I get it. That's you get it. That, that focus, that everything, every sense, your sight, your smell, your hearing is is hypersensitive and you're not tired you're not cold you're not hot right and you're just right that's exactly what that was thank you and so we cover like 250 yards we find this awesome little rock we set up my rifle well we got we found a defilade so we could drop our packs and then belly crawl right oh yeah that's right see i forgot about that (laughs) so yeah we drop our packs and then we belly crawl that was super exciting and crawl, 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 find a rock, set up my rifle with the bipod. And I'm very comfortable with my rifle at this point, which is a huge um, piece of advice or wisdom to pass on is like, know your, know your firearm and be very comfortable with it. Because I was able to just like drop that bipod, set it up, sight in on this buck. And then Thomas said, you know, he was, he was zoomed in on it as well. um, In case, because we were like, we want this this deer to go cleanly and go fast. So if I, because of nerves or whatever it is, if I flub this shot, Thomas will provide a backup if I ask him to. But, you know, I can go ahead and make this shot. So I sight in, and he's turned perfectly broadside. And he's just sitting there, you know, doing his thing, looking around. He was about 250 yards, right? Yeah, so he's 250 yards out, and just, he looked, like, very much at peace, you know? He was had no idea in the world that we were there. So it's kind of like, I consider that a purity point, right? Yeah. Like, Stephen, <laughs> and, Stephen and Matt Ranella's uh, Hunt Purity Score Index um, chalked that up to a point right there. Have you scored this hunt? We have not scored this hunt. <laughs> I think I'll do that at some point. <laughs> <laughs> when we developed that app, how about that's right? Yeah, <laughs> there kidding. you go. <laughs> um, so yeah, sight in on this guy. Love that he didn't know we were there. Love that he was just, you know, doing his thing, and took the shot, and hit him pretty good. Was it shoulder? It was a good hit. I knew it was part of that shoulder quadrant somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, but he didn't drop, and they're so tough. He, I think, I think he laid down, and then he got back up. Yeah, he laid down. And at that point, I thought it was just a, it wasn't in the vitals. Yeah. I said, take another shot. Take another shot. Got him. He, so before that second shot, though, he started kind of walking uphill. Mm. Took that shot. He went back downhill, and he dropped and laid down, and then. It was like, I just, I don't even, like, remember a sound. Like, nothing. It was just 
all I remember is like seeing the animal. I didn't take my eye off the scope. I didn't take my eye off that animal. Tom said, "Keep your eye on him." We talked. Yeah, we, we you know, talked about after the shot. After the shot. Chamber around and keep watching. Mm-hmm. Because we're not going to let this guy get away. We don't want him going and dying, and not being able to retrieve him. So, yeah. kept my eye on that critter and just was so I've never I don't think I've ever been more focused on anything physically in my life like that and it was just like it was insane like I don't remember hearing the shot I don't remember feeling the shot from my 270 like hitting my shoulder like it usually does like I don't remember anything except for visually focusing on that animal and that was like so cool like what other experiences in life offer you that like I've I don't know maybe climbing a mountain I don't know like yeah and so, um, so they call that, and you probably know this, they call that the, there's a flow state that you can get into. And when oh. you're, when you are, um, experiencing that, it's, it's kind of like when, when athletes talk about like, yeah, he's in the zone, he can't miss. It's just every, every part of you is working for one thing. And it's just every, all of your resources mm. are flowing towards that one goal. And you're describing it perfectly. Like, like I want more of that. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever that is, I want more of that. It was the like greatest high I have like ever felt. And, um, and there's no bad health side effect no, to that high. No, I mean, you get a nice hike in. You get some amazing meat. Yeah. Yeah, so we, we gave the animal about 10 minutes um, to himself, and then we walked over and dressed the deer out and... Um, you know, it was really a beautiful animal. And then upon butchering and processing the animal, we did find that the first shot was a kill shot. And it had kill, it had um, penetrated the organs, um, the lungs, and he would have died from that first shot. So, you know, I'm glad we took the second shot. But at the same time, uh, I learned a lot of lessons from it in that, I think there were a lot of environmental factors in my own kind of like body and excitement making me kind of pull to the left because mm-hmm. I feel like I shot him a little high, a little far to the left up on the shoulder. So I I have a lot to glean from that whole experience and a lot of cool things to work on in the off season, you know, to be able to take that next shot um, next year and be able to drop that animal right there in its tracks. Nice. Oh, yeah. In fact, yeah, bear hunt uh, next weekend, is it? Nice. Oh, spring bear opener or the That's following cool. weekend. So we're pretty excited about that. Um, yeah, we'll see. Yeah. We'll see if uh, we can connect. And this is one of the things that I just found so impressive about you the first time we met is you, and you talked similarly at the at the women's um, hunting social, but you you had this kill shot. It was a good shot, but you're sitting here saying it could have been better. Like I'm going to get better. Totally. And that's super impressive to me to have that kind of mentality. Most people would say, "Oh yeah, I got it. Like it's good. Like it's it's going to go down." But you obviously like you have a, a high degree of personal integrity where you you're going to take that second shot or you're going to work to make sure that next time it is better than just a like, sounds like it was a good shot to me, but from your perspective, it sounds like you thought it could be better, and mm-hmm. you're pursuing that, which is, is really cool. Thank you. Um, I think it's a, also, yeah, it's a personal kind of c- 
conduct decision, but also yeah. I think it's a reflection of the people I surround myself with. Like I'm so lucky to have um, Thomas, who has a high degree of ethics and integrity, as well as Stephen and, you know, the whole crew. It's like I've learned a lot about, um, you know, the respect that you show um, what you're pursuing um, from those guys. So it's a testament to, to a lot of that, a lot cool. of these guys around me. Yeah. So grateful yeah. for them. It's definitely a, a community and like you can't you can't do it alone like right i don't care how many guys on social media say like yeah i I do this by myself like even even the guys that say they're doing it by themselves they've got a community that's helping them get it done totally in fact like that was like what i posted like after i shared on instagram i shared kind of my assessment or my story of this hunt um following it and i said like this this hunt my my previous hunts have been about like shared with a friend or just experienced by myself, but this hunt, this deer hunt was the culmination of an entire community. I like spoke those exact words. I was like, this is not about just me. This is about my grandfather who gave me this rifle. This is about Thomas who took the time to take me out and who also worked on my rifle. This is about Giannis who gave me my scope. This is about Steven who's given me these educational moments and the resources to be able to learn um, this is about the Vanix who hosted us at their property. This is about all these people that, like, this happened because of them. And I was only granted that opportunity because of them. So it's like, I mean, it's better that way. Like, I want to share it with all of all of these people. You know, it's not just, it's not just for me. Yeah. You know, so it's fun. Did you notice a change in yourself after that experience? Um, I just, yeah, I think with regard to, I like that I can understand and relate on a very like deep level with people my colleagues with Thomas um I get it like I just I get it now like I got it um beforehand in a, on a different level now it's a shared understanding mm. so it's like when he wants to go out and go do some awesome like Alaska hunt it's Heck yeah. yeah. Like, absolutely. Like, You're taking me with you, right? <laughs> yeah. In fact, like we're planning it. So it's like, that's cool. This is amazing. So I just get it now on a much deeper level. So that's the, that's the change is like, there's no going back. Like I'm all in. And that's actually what um, a friend said on Instagram. She's like, Michelle, you know, um, do you think this hunting thing's going to stick? And I was like, no doubt. No doubt. Absolutely. No doubt. I love like, that. I am so hooked. Like, uh, I mean, it's really kind of taken a lot more of my time. Like, I used to fly fish every single day. Like, I don't even hardly, like, I I do fly fish still, but it's not to that level because I'm, like, consumed by hunting culture and media and lifestyle now. And it's it's really taken a large part of my life, and I'm yeah. really happy about that. One thing I noticed after my first hunting experience, first time I, I harvested an animal, what I noticed um, was not so much a drive to keep hunting, which was definitely there. And I, I had the same kind of thing like, Oh yeah, like this is, this is sticking. Like this is going to be part of my life. What I noticed was I cared on a whole different level about wild animals and wild places Mm -hmm. than I ever thought possible. Yeah. And it was, it was a bizarre feeling because on the one hand, I'd just taken this life and now I feel this incredible, like, like love for these animals in this outdoor space. And that was, that was surprising for me. And, uh, I think 
I don't know that I don't know that you can understand that unless you've hunted that mm-hmm. like that love like and I'm not discounting people that don't hunt and still love the outdoors and animals because I'm sure they do but the experience of harvesting an animal and protecting the habitat and and working for that gives you a, a different type of caring for those animals in those places is that something that you can relate to yeah I can um like I said I was always like a child like obsessed with the outdoors in one way or another like always seeking out some way to be outside like um but that to me looking back now I feel like I was I mean I don't mean to be too literal but I felt like more taking from the resource or extracting Mm. a like this is like something it's giving me now I feel like this drive to give back what it has given me um whether that's through like you know, my skills, so like volunteering for something or in the work I do. Um, I feel like it has public lands, natural resources, wildlife, um, all the experiences that these things have afforded me. I mean, I'm, I am who I am because of them now. And I want my kids to be able to have those experiences in those moments um, and form these bonds with these amazing resources. So I think on on a deeper level now, it's like I want to find my way of being able to give back to protecting it at least. Um, so I don't know if that answers that. No, it does. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so I just uh, I want to do whatever I can to prolong that, to propagate it. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Well, this has been such a blast. Thanks. I I honestly could if I if I wasn't interrupting your dinner. I could keep talking year off, but no, thank you so much for having yeah. me. Um, I'm really excited to see your project drop and, um, yeah, see you in the outdoor media space. It's going to be a lot of fun to watch it grow thank you. and I appreciate that. see all the folks that you bring together. Um, it's an amazing community we get to be a part of yep. and it's, um, we're very fortunate. So I'm excited for your contribution to it. Thank you. I appreciate mm-hmm. that. Before I let you go, I got, some closing questions that I've asked all the other people I've interviewed. So nice. I got to ask you too. Right, right. So the first one is what is a question you wish people would ask you that they don't? Oh my gosh. Whoa. Hmm. Gosh, that's a tough one, man. Uh, I, I think, I think I could maybe rephrase it and okay. say yeah. that like maybe something people don't know about me. Okay. Um, yeah. And they wouldn't know unless they asked or maybe got very uh, comfortable with me is like, I'm actually like pretty kind of shy and reserved, actually. Um, no. Yeah. I do not. <laughs> yeah. Like, in, Are you serious? in my own way. Like, yeah. And it's like, uh, it makes me blush all the time. <laughs> and, you know, like social, I, I mean, I'm kind of awkward, so like in social moments. No, you're stuff. not. Well, thank you, but yeah. So it's. Uh, I think I wish people would understand that about me. Okay. Because like maybe if like I get invited to a lot of like there's a lot of community events mm-hmm. in Montana, right? Like a lot of brew brew fests and a lot of um, pint nights and things like that for different conservation groups. And it's like, I think I I wish I could attend them all, but like, yeah, it's a challenge for me, like yeah. personally, because like I feel like it. I don't know. Like socially, it's just really hard for me. So I, I don't know. Does well, that make sense? It does. 
you you hide that very well. Thanks. And this it's, is not me putting this on. Like I'm like generally professional shocked skill. right now. It's a yeah. professional skill. You have to just like rise to the challenge, right? Yeah. But like yeah, so like in my personal life, I just lay low. But professionally, I'm pretty active. Yeah. So wow. I don't know if that that's what I think they wouldn't know about me or ask about me. Okay. Well, I would never guess that, so I'm glad you shared that. Thanks. Um, okay. What is something you're hoping to learn about? in the near future? Hmm. You know, I really, really, I'm going to keep it very general, but I really want to make more time for reading Mm. and I want to read the quote unquote classics. I want to develop a literature, like a literacy on American literature, the classics. I want to find a way to make the time for that and learn those things. And, um, you know, Steve talks about how in his early days in college and grad school, he felt like he had an early um, introduction to the American canon. And uh, he maybe almost feels like it was lost on him or like on it might be lost on youth um, reading all the greats. Yeah. Um, and I really, I don't think I'm all that young anymore. So I think it's about time <laughs> <laughs> I started reading the canon. <laughs> You know, it's funny. Whenever I listen to your guys' podcast, that's one thing that just, like, hits me over the back of the head with a two-by-four is I'm like, dang, I do not read nearly enough because mm-hmm. those guys Him and are Giannis so are well prolific. Read. Yeah, they're, they're just amazing like, amazing readers. Oh, oh, yeah, like this one quote from this one book. And I'm like, mm-hmm. how do you guys know that? Yeah, I know it. And so that's kind of what bred the whole um, show notes at the end mm. of our episodes was because, honestly, Steve, his mind is like a steel trap. So it's like he will make like 10 different references, whether it's like um, uh, Jim Jarmusch's Dead Man movie or uh, American Heartworm (laughs) by Metcalf. It's like he's dropping all sorts of media references and um, it's our real duty to share it with with the audience, right? Because, I mean, we can all be better educated and better informed. So it's a a fun little aspect of the job. Well, and and honestly, it probably saves you some time, too, because then you don't need to answer every single email that comes in. Yeah, that's definitely an added benefit of the whole um, endeavor. Yeah. For sure. Okay. Last question or next question? I got two more for you. What are you most excited about right now? (gasps) Oh, my God. We're planning our trip to Alaska. (laughs) 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 So Thomas grew up in Alaska um, in his teenage years, and um, we are so excited. We are taking three weeks. And going to, is it coastal Alaska? Southeast Alaska. Oh, man. And we are going on a Sitka blacktail hunt. And we are going to fish for halibut and salmon and basically just live there for three weeks. His dad lives there. That's so cool. So um, have a really good time in the outdoors. See his old best friend uh, who lives there. And just, he's a bush pilot. Maybe get a plane ride Man. to an island somewhere, take the ferry, just like do the Alaska thing. And what's amazing, like, is just be able to kind of work from there too, which yeah. is so cool. Like, you know, have an internet connection, go down to the library, knock out my work, get done, maybe go catch salmon on the fly. That'd be so bomb. That sounds absolutely miserable, guys. I will take this trip <laughs> off your hands so that you don't have to be put through that misery. Oh. Okay. Okay, so Tom, if you didn't hear that, Tom said, here, I'll have him say it again. Yeah, hey, guys. Uh, (laughs) Oh, hey there, guys. (laughs) Oh, hey there. 
don't you know? Uh, no, seriously, Alaska is reasonable unless you're trying to shoot a doll sheep or a grizzly bear. Um, you can do it for pretty cheap. You can do it for about two grand for a couple weeks. Do a little research. Call some folks. Make yourself a spreadsheet. Who's been there? Yeah, do a budget. Whatever. Um, a couple weeks in Alaska is a couple grand. Rent an RV. That's going to be your biggest budget constraint right there. Yep. Other than that, you make ham sandwiches. You park on the side of the road. Yeah. You don't have to pay six grand to go to a lodge. Yeah, yeah, we get that question a lot too. Folks are like, "Oh, I want to do an Alaska hunt, but like, I don't have any like celebrity friends or a helicopter." And it's like, <laughs> <laughs> "Yeah, dude, uh, I get that, but um, we're not hunting like that." Like, nope. you know, you can do it. You can't. Alaska is approachable, and it just takes planning. So we have four months to plan, and we've made an amazing budget. We've got like, we've got like. The Google Maps on this TV, we could put it on there, and yes. we're just like hovering, flying around like the different mountains and stuff, and the islands, and we're getting really excited about this trip. Well, and to to your point, Tom, the I I don't remember the exact number, and I'm so I'm gonna make up a number. The average American spends something like four to five hundred dollars a month on eating out. So perspective, right there. So let me, do the math. Let me do this perspective. Okay, let's hear it. The Beyonce concert. <laughs> <laughs> tell him, tell him about that. Cost like what? Two grand. My friend offered me to go on a trip with her to um, the Beyonce show in San Francisco, <laughs> and she bought VIP tickets. And dude, Whoa. I had no idea how much money Beyonce is making, but these VIP tickets are like over a grand. There's a reason she's, what do they call her? The boss B or something? The, like yeah. That? Queen B. Queen B. Thank you. <laughs> the boss B. I the love boss that. The boss B. I don't that know. So you could go to Beyonce or, or you can go to Alaska. For three weeks. For three weeks, man. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's all about perspective. And I love your point about the food stuff. Yeah. Cause like that's been a huge part of being able or being like more awesome about getting to do this is cause I cook up a storm and, like, just having a grasp on all of that yep. is like, holy jeez, like, we can <laughs> save so much money every month by not eating out. And, like, yeah, go out, have fun. You know, we've seen you at restaurants. We yeah. go out, and it's awesome. Um, but, you know what? Alaska is a priority. Um, travel and hunting is a priority. So we want to be able to do two trips a year. We're talking about, like, man, how much cabin fever did you all have in oh February? Like, by February, we were going out of our minds. Like we want to be able to like go to Belize, you know, or like go go somewhere warm at least, like Florida or something. And uh, you can only do that if you take control um, and make it happen. Yeah. So the joke around the office doing. was that we were going to all just move down to Belize and work remotely. <laughs> all all six right. of us. That's perfect. I mean, yeah, why not? <laughs> yeah. Cheaper overhead. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, this winter was brutal. It really was. It was and a it, bad one. It's still not letting up, so... It's supposed to snow twice the rest of this week, yeah, I think? Jeez. Yeah. Well, oh, yeah. Any, anything else? Last question nice. for you. Um, have you seen the movie Jeremiah Johnson? <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. So I had uh, actually told Thomas the other day, I was like, you know what I haven't seen in years since grad school? And I didn't even remember it because I think we were like you know, sitting around, like, drinking too much, like, BV and Coke or something while watching Jeremiah Johnson. Yes. And uh, so, yeah, we sat down and watched Jeremiah Johnson the other day, and I love it. Now I'm picking up on all these great references. Like, Steve dropped a reference the other day. Yeah. Um, about, like, harassing my hunt. Bearclaw says, you over there harassing my hunt. Yeah. And, and Tom says, good hunter, yes? 
Yeah. <laughs> Great hunter, yes. <laughs> Fine figure of a man. Yes. <laughs> so now See, this is why like I knew we running, would be friends. Yeah, it's a yeah. running joke in our household. Uh. Um Jeremiah Johnson references and my favorite though is the Jeremiah Johnson meme of where he's sitting there, he turns around and it'll be like when your buddy calls oh, you yeah. to pack out now. It's <laughs> <laughs> like Yes. That's my favorite. That is so good. <laughs> so my last question, I'm glad you know the movie. Right. My last question is if you were a guy that's frozen in the snow with the rifle. Yeah. Yeah. If you were that man, he wrote a note right. to whoever found his rifle. You go ahead and take it. You go ahead and take it. If you were attacked by a bear and you had one message to leave the world, <gasps> what would you leave? <sighs> oh, boy. <laughs> I feel like it'd be like immediate. It'd be like, well, that didn't pan out too good. <laughs> like, I want it to be profound, but honestly, I mean, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, if I'm taking the time to write a message, I'd just be like, just go for it. Just go for it. Yeah, like hustle, get what you want. I love it. You got one life. Like, go after what you want. I don't know. Cool. Yeah. That's a great way to end it. Thanks. And I think I think that's been kind of your theme is just hustle and go for what you want. Thanks. So, Michelle, I just want to recognize you for all the good that you do for hunting and for your community. I mean, you you. really do a lot, and you do a lot of it behind the scenes, and you're uh, a quiet warrior, and that's so needed in this world. A lot of people want to be up front, you know, getting the attention, but honestly, we need people that are willing to do the hard work and just dig in and get the... The what did you say, Tom? The the dirt carriers or the dirt diggers? They're dirt bags. The world needs more dirt bags. The world needs more dirt bags. The world needs more dirt bags. Dude, I love that. All That's right. perfect. Well, thank you so much. Thank I appreciate you. what you're doing. All right, friends. Another podcast is in the books. Thanks for tuning in, and I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. The music for this episode was Until the End by Pansky. You can find more great music from our buddy Pansky by following the links in the show notes. For more great content, connect with Urban to Country on social media or on our website, urbantocountry.com. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher, and leave us a review. Your feedback helps us as we develop content for future episodes. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, make life epic.